So uh, in a variation to the stated uh, program, uh, we, we don't have Mark Lindsay here with us, as you'll know. Um, but we do have Mark Lindsay's paper, <laughs> which is wonderful. And so uh, Bruce has kindly agreed to uh, deliver the paper to us. So that's what's going to happen. I'm, just before he does, let, let, let me say a few things about who Mark is, in case you don't know him. So Mark is, is an Australian who teaches at the University of Divinity in Melbourne. Uh, he's professor of historical theology there. And uh, he has made a sort of specialism of Barthes, uh, Karl Barthes, the, theology of Israel and the Jews. So he's written two or three three books now that all deal with different aspects of, of that topic. Uh, and he was here in Princeton not, not long since on a, a research leave, a period of research leave in which he was in the archives working with Marcus Barth's papers, among other things. Uh, and the paper that we have today is part of the fruit of that research. So you, you, you'll see the archival character of the, of the work itself uh, as uh, Bruce reads it. The topic of the paper, or the title, uh, Jewish-Christian Dialogue from the Underside, Marcus Barth's Correspondence with Emil Fackenheim. Um, two other quick housekeeping notes. The, the first is because Bruce didn't write the paper. It's not really fair for us to ask him to own it in the Q&A session afterwards. Um, so, but we, we will take time for discussion. So we'll, we'll, we'll treat it as a kind of, uh, of yeah, free-for-all in that sense. The, no doubt the paper will provoke um, thoughts and comments on the part of those who are here. Um, the other thing is to say that you may or may not know uh, Emil Fackenheim, the figure uh, who's mentioned here. There'll be a, a little bit of detail in the paper about him. But if you're interested, at the end of the session, um, Nicola White was kind enough to grab two or three of Fackenheim's better known books uh, from the library collection here. And, and I've just left them up on the table. So if you're, if you're intrigued by what you hear uh, and you want to see some some of the things you might go on and read. Um, there are three examples of that there for you to have a look. Okay, so thank you, Bruce. I hope I won't cause any unforeseen difficulties with the technicians if I sit. Um, I have back problems as Joe does, but for me, they all, uh, happen when I stand in one place for too long. Moving is the best thing I can do. <coughs> I also uh, should tell you before I begin that uh, I had a retinal detachment and then followed by cataract surgery two years ago and just learned recently that the cataract surgery has caused some scarring on the cornea, which can be easily removed in a 60-second procedure with a laser. Um, and that's coming up, but at the moment I have some blurring. It all depends on which eye is dominant at any given moment. So uh, if I hesitate at all, that's the reason. Uh, I, I have read the text and uh, I'm, I am prepared. The title of the, of, of, of the uh, lecture is Jewish-Christian Dialogue from the Underside, Marcus Barth's Correspondence with Emil Fackenheim, 1965 to 1980. In the nearly 50 years since Karl Barth died, one of the most contested aspects of his legacy has been how to interpret his theology of biblical and post-biblical Israel. The situation is very different, though, with Barth's eldest son, Marcus, whose exegetical work took him to the forefront of Jewish-Christian relations during the 1960s and 70s, and who, in contrast to his father, had a large circle of notable Jewish friends and colleagues. Yet in the end, 
Marcus was as problematic and ambiguous to his Jewish friends as Carl had been. In spite of his well-known love for Israel's land and people, and his extraordinary network of friends among the American and Israeli Jewish communities, Marcus was ultimately unable to escape harsh and at times vitriolic censure for hiding what some claimed to be his allegedly anti-Semitic antipathies behind a cynical veneer of brotherly solidarity. That I do not believe this, Mark writes, that I do not believe this to be accurate or fair is not at this point the issue. Rather, I wish here simply to narrate the contours of just one of Bart's many relationships with his Jewish colleagues, that with the German-Canadian reform rabbi Emil Fackenheim, as it emerges through the extensive correspondence between them that took place over a quarter of a century. As I hope to show, these letters tell the story of some initially tentative connections, blossoming into a deep, if robust, friendship, but which in the end collapsed into painful and suspicious animosity. Indeed, I would argue that Marcus Bart's exchanges with Falkenheim perfectly epitomize his volatile relationship with Jews in Israel generally, a relationship that oscillated wildly between warm appreciation and suspicious antipathy. The first extant letters between Bart and Falkenheim are from September 1965. Somewhat cursory in tone, they nonetheless suggest that the two men already knew each other at least by reputation. These first letters were simply to arrange a time to meet for dinner. But before long, the, the Barts and Falkenheims were on close terms. In early December 1965, the two families shared a weekend together in Toronto, during which they all attended a guest lecture given by Marcus. Just before Christmas, Emil's wife Rose wrote to the Barts in appreciation of their time together. And I quote, Dear Rosemarie and Marcus, it was wonderful to have you with us last weekend and to see so much of you. I never did get a chance to tell you, Marcus, what I thought of your lecture. I thought it was theologically brilliant and beautifully expressed. I'm sorry we all ganged up on you after. But I'm sure you realize that such conversations are possible only between people who are close to each other. Such disagreements cannot be expressed without great trust. Love, Rose. This letter reveals much about the early stages of the Bart Falkenheim connection. On the one hand, Rose expresses not only her admiration, but also her deep affection, an affection she believed to be mutual. Yes, there was clearly also sharp disagreement over the content of Bart's lecture. But at this stage of the friendship, it was understood that such arguments were part and parcel of their reciprocal love. Marcus's response suggests that he did indeed share the same affectionate feelings towards the Falkenheims. Nevertheless, he was more deeply hurt by the ganging up on him than Rose or Emil had recognized. At the end of January 1966, Bart replied to Rose that he too was keen for conversations between them to continue. But he also wanted her to know that he had been bruised by the accusations that she and Emil had made against him. Quote, 
At times you have been looking to me like a mixture of Medea, Job, and the accusing, and the accusing Satan, certainly more so than like the archangel Michael who fights on the side of the angels of light, unquote. Acknowledging that his lecture had, quote, made you, Rose and Amiel, so unhappy, unquote, Bart was, for his part, bothered by the Fockenheim's response to it, which he described as a, quote, rigorous, if not cynical, stand in matters of resurrection, and your insistence on the absolute priority of Auschwitz over all other issues of our time, including Vietnam. Unquote. This becomes a nodal point in their early debates with one another. In spite of this, though, Bart shared with Rose's desire, shared Bar Rose's desire for ongoing conversation and friendship. Again, quoting Marcus. I bear your objections and criticisms in mind. I wrestle with them as honestly as I can, and I hope to learn more from the Bible, from life, from encounters as ours, so that one day I can speak more wisely than I have obviously done in that lecture which made you so unhappy. I agree with you. Sharp discussions are possible and necessary, sometimes precisely among people who are, and because they are, very close to one another. Let's keep our friendship." Unquote. Identifying precisely what the Fockenheim's objections and criticisms to Bart's lecture were is key to understanding the gradual decline and eventual implosion of their friendship. Though the war in Vietnam was mentioned, it was in fact the other horror of the 20th century to which reference in the letter has been made, namely Auschwitz, that stood in the way of a lasting cordial relationship. In particular, Bart was increasingly concerned that for the Fockenheims, Auschwitz was given, quote, absolute priority over all other issues of our time, unquote. In order to understand quite why Auschwitz emerged as such a central issue for their relationship, we need to take a step back and consider the broader context. On the 28th of October, 1965, just six weeks after the Barts and Fockenheims had arranged to have their first dinner, Pope Paul VI issued Nostra Aetate, Rome's declaration on the relationship between the church and non-Christian religions. Frequently regarded, at least by many Christians, as a groundbreaking document, Nostra Aetate's statements on the Jews have been said to represent, quote, the most dramatic example of doctrinal turnabout in the age-old magisterium ordinarium, unquote. That's a quote from Gregory Baum, Catholic theologian. Yet not everyone was so pleased. Marcus Barth thought, that the document, thought the document to be, quote, the expression of a miserable failure and source of great disappointment and bitterness, unquote. So appalled was he that he contacted Rabbi Zalman Schachter in Manitoba, urging the rabbi to join him in organizing a, quote, strictly theological conference of Jews and Gentiles, unquote, in order to work and pray together for a way out of this impasse. Along with Schachter, Bart also sought the involvement of Abraham Joshua Heschel, Elie Wiesel, Stephen Schwarzschild, Roy Eckhart, Michael Vischelgrad, and Emil Fackenheim. 
Fackenheim's participation, however, was not as helpful as Bart had hoped it would be. When the conference finally did take place at Harvard University from the 17th to the 20th of October, 1966, some key people were missing, Vishalgrad, E.P. Sanders, and Heschel. But Roy Eckhart was there, as were Bart, Wolfhard Pannenberg, Eliezer Berkowitz, and of course, Fackenheim. In his multiple reports on the gathering afterwards, Bart was scathing in relation to, to various delegates. Pannenberg's lecture, he said, was stinking. While Berkowitz's angry polemic was also repudiated. This in a letter to Jakob Neusner. Neusner, November 12, 1966. <clears throat> Yet it was Fackenheim who particularly drew Bart's ire. In his published summary of the conference, dialogue is not enough. Bart accused Fackenheim of what he called Jewish triumphalism. He explained what he meant by this in a letter to Salman Schachter. Quote, the conference was not a world-shaking event, whatever later propagandistic reports may make of it. There were some remarkable results. The appearance of a rather strong Jewish triumphalism, parentheses, Christianity and incident, in Judaism, now passing. Everything good in Christianity is present even better in Judaism. We suffered at Auschwitz. You Christians suffer only when you feel like it. For the rest, you talk about the suffering servant. End of parentheses. At least that's how he interprets Falkenheim. Now remember, Mark writes, the conference was a response to Nostra Aetate. And what Bart was objecting to, uh, and what Bart was objecting to, that had emerged from the conference, was a Jewish, in his view, diminution of Christianity, a sort of reverse supersessionism, in which Christianity is a mere shadow of all that is right and proper within Judaism, justified by reference to Auschwitz, as though that horror must forever delegitimize the church's existence and proclamation. Certainly the contributions from Berkowitz and Pannenberg dismayed him, but it was Fackenheim who provoked Bart's angriest outbursts. Fackenheim's insistence that Auschwitz not be forgotten, or positively, that it be hermeneutically, hermeneutically embedded as a criterion without which theology can no longer be done, infuriated Bart. To recapitulate the Shoah as a now necessary ingredient of doctrine and faith was, in Marcus's mind, giving Hitler far too much, quote, airtime, unquote. Would it not be preferable, he countered, to acknowledge the awfulness of the past, confess sins where they may have been committed, and then move forward in hope toward resurrection? Quote, why get, get, why get fascinated by the abyss of a possible other victory of Hitler, if there is still a victory of God ahead of us." Unquote. Falkenheim responded predictably, I must disagree. I don't think you can classify what was said on this subject of Auschwitz under the heading of Jewish triumphalism. Certainly, I feel sad if you so classified what I said on this score. Please remember that I prefaced my remarks 
with the very personal statement, uh, parenthetically, I have a hard time understanding this statement. It makes me wonder if it was correctly translated, but maybe somebody can explain it to me if they think they understand it. Please remember that I prefaced my remarks with the per very personal statement that I shudder to think what would have become in the 30s, what I would have become in the 30s, had I not been born a Jew. I don't quite get that. What, what I would have become in the 30s had I not been born a Jew. My dear friend, if maybe we need the, the, the origins of the uh, comment to make clear what was going on there. My dear friend, if you lost the significance of these initial remarks and what then followed, then I must tell you in all frankness that on this subject, your insight is clouded by goyish sense of guilt for which there is no cause. My assigned task had been to state recent events which had affected the Jewish-Christian dialogue. And the point I made is that, alas, the Nazis had succeeded and to a degree posthumously still succeed in dividing us. The only interpretation I have from a Jewish point of view is that the 614th commandment is not to give Hitler yet another victory. And my challenge to the Christians was simply that in seeking dialogue with Jews, they must face up to the most momentous aspect of the 20th century Jewish situation." Unquote. Significantly, Fackenheim signed off with a, uh, a placatory quote, with affection as always, yet Bart's own reply was swift and sharp. Acknowledging that it was a bold, if hopefully not a mean stroke of his to classify Fackenheim's ideas as triumphalistic, he nonetheless asked whether it was not in fact perverse of Emil and his wife Rose to go back again and again to the horrors of Hitler. Would it not be better to, quote, to throw behind you the unbearable guilt and suffering of those endless years and uncounted martyrs and refuse to make sin the basis of your theology? Instead of being held captive to an Hitlerian abyss, Ought we not to look forward in hope to the victory of God?" Unquote. What Bart was calling for, at least what the Fackenheims heard him call for, was a moratorium on Auschwitz, a determination to keep the word and its reference silenced in order that they not be used as a foundation for theology or reconciliation. Neither Rose nor Emil Fackenheim was prepared to accept Bart's rebuke. Rose, who was at this time still a Christian, responded that coming to theological grips with Auschwitz was, quote, not as gloomy a preoccupation as it may seem to you, unquote. Indeed, she regarded it as, quote, much more inspiring than much of Christian, especially Protestant theology today, unquote. And for Rose, there was a Christological reason why a moratorium was impossible. Quote, to abandon Auschwitz, she wrote, would be to betray those innocent ones for whom another innocent one, capital I, capital O, prayed and pleaded, and to cease to listen for the voice, which I am certain is speaking to us through this event, only we cannot or will not listen, unquote. If that one true voice might be speaking even out of the Holocaust, argued Rose, how can we avoid speaking of it too? Even those Jewish leaders who accepted the regrettable presence of a Jewish triumphalism regarded Bart's interventions as intolerable. 
Eugene Borovitz derided his, quote, naive universalism that thinks we can come together merely as human beings and thereby avoid the theological barrier imposed by Judaism and Christianity, unquote. Agreeing with Barth that talk of Auschwitz was deeply problematic and potentially even defiling, Borowitz nonetheless insisted that it, quote, must be spoken of and must be used even where there is a danger of exploitation because not to speak of it is an even greater blasphemy, unquote. For Borowitz, the danger of sliding into the type of triumphalism so much feared by Barth was infinitely less acute than the threat of sacrilegious forgetfulness. If Barth could or would not speak seriously of Auschwitz, how then, queried Borowitz, can we even talk? Six weeks later, Barth responded to Borowitz in person, pushing back at his criticisms by saying that, quote, I would be a dreadful theologian. I would deny all my father has taught me. Have you ever read his Anthropology in Church Dogmatics, Volume 3, uh, 1 and 2? In addition, I would be a bloody fool if I aimed at, quote, avoiding the theological barrier imposed by Judaism and Christianity, unquote. Ergo, I agree that our selfhood is determined radically by our faith, as you put it. Uh, end of quotation. I'm not exactly sure what the source of it is. Mark does not have a note on this particular one. <clears throat> Yet Barth's conciliatory tone in this letter was undone by his attempts to find common ground between Jews and Christians precisely at the point of Auschwitz. And this is from a letter from Bart to Borowitz, and I suppose the preceding paragraph could be too. Would you consider it blasphemous if I said that we Christians have not also been criminals? Have, I need to say this just right. I think, there, I think there needs to be a correction here. This is how it should read. Would you consider it blasphemous if I said that we Christians have not only been criminals who committed Auschwitz, but at the same time also victims of their deeds. I mean this in more than the psychological sense only, in which, of course, every human, whether he is in his senses or out of it, is in some sense the victim of his own deed. I mean it in more than that psychological sense. I mean it also in a more hurtful sense than that, produced by seeing a relative or a child suffer, and by suffering with him out of sympathy or identification. I mean this. When the elect of God are slain, God's whole people, and even the nations to whom this people was to be a witness of God, are slain. Please don't feel hurt when I tell you that Auschwitz also happened to me. With this, I do by no means wish to detract from the special pain and mortification to which you are subject. God appointed you Jews, and so the world needs you. But I mean that what happens to you happens to us also." Unquote. There is, Mark says, without doubt, a theological case to be made for what Marcus says here, due in no small measure to his father, his father Carl's notion of the elected solidarity of the one community of Israel church. And yet, there is also an uncomfortable flattening of the Jews' particular agony in the well-intentioned but nevertheless carelessly worded assumption that Jews and Christians suffered together, 
that in and after Auschwitz, theirs has been a quote-unquote co-Paschitism. Bart's next letter to the Falkenheims, written the, the same day as his response to Borowitz, signified something of a lull in the growing tensions between them. Bart praised Emil's excellent essay that had appeared in the journal Daedalus. He noted with satisfaction that the two of them shared the same indignation toward the local Baal of Pittsburgh, Richard Rubinstein. And he even offered an apology of sorts for his earlier incautious language. Quote, I urged you not to become fanatics about Auschwitz, yet perhaps I should not have said anything, unquote. But he also repeated the idea he had put to Barovitz. I would like to be counted among those to whom, not only by whom, Auschwitz happened. Perhaps for this very reason, the lull was not long lasting. The catalyst for the next round of heated exchange was Bart's review of Baal Rubinstein's After Auschwitz. <clears throat> Published by his local newspaper, Bart's review was scathing in its assessment of Rubinstein's book, even seeing within its pages, quote, the same ideas expressed that made Nazism possible. He lamented Rubinstein's abandonment of truly Jewish faith and hope. Despaired that for Rubinstein, quote, despair is itself declared holy, unquote. And excoriated him for his claim that God really died at Auschwitz. While Stephen Schwarzschild and Jakob Petruchowski applauded Bart's assessment, Falkenheim was appalled. The cause of his anger was not so much Bart's repudiation of Rubinstein's neo-paganist revision of Judaism, a repudiation with which Falkenheim in fact agreed. Rather, he was infuriated to find himself and Elie Wiesel classified by Bart as advocates of the same death of God at Auschwitz school as Rubinstein himself. <coughs> Quoting from a letter from Falkenheim to Bart, I am appalled at the gulf which must exist between you and us if you can misunderstand us so completely. Where does Ellie ever speak, let alone speak clearly, of God's death at Auschwitz? I do not recall this expression in any of his writings. Next, from Ellie to myself, so far from speaking clearly of the death of God at Auschwitz, I have systematically attacked every form of God is dead theology, and it pains me very greatly that rather than being taken at my word, a doctrine should be attributed to me which I explicitly and lengthily repudiate." Unquote. Over the next few days and weeks, Rose Falkenheim sought also to lower the temperature between the two men. Despite chiding Bart for, quote, throwing Jews and non-Jews into the same pot, unquote, as though their respective sufferings through and responses to the Holocaust could in any way be identified, she also understood that Bart was hurting at the breach in their friendship. She writes, the words at the end of your last note break my heart. And she quotes those words. Will you now give me up completely? Marcus had written. And she says, how can you ask such a question? 
I would have hoped that you know that we would consider it wrong to abandon anyone, let alone someone of whom we are so fond and with whom we share so much." Unquote. Nonetheless, this reaffirmation of affection notwithstanding, Rose's efforts to restore the relationship were ultimately unsuccessful. When the argument between Marcus and Emil next flared, the issue was not as benign as either an inflammatory book review or a difference of theological methodology. It was, though, tangentially related to both. On the 5th of June, 1967, the Six-Day War broke out between Israel and the Arab coalition of Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. For Bart, this was not simply another regrettable crisis in the Middle East. Rather, he saw in the conflict a frightening enactment of the very triumphalism that he had first encountered in Berkowitz and Fackenheim. And while he did not accept the logic, he was forced to agree on Canadian television that it was precisely this type of triumphant nationalism that might prevent Christians from standing alongside Israel and the Jews in the event of a second Holocaust. Rose Falkenheim responded angrily. On the same day that the war began, she wrote to Bart attacking him for his equivocation. Surely, she said, public statements from the Arab world that, quote, we will exterminate Israel, ought no longer to be so easily dismissed as mere bluster as Bart had done. Did he not realize, as every Jew did, that by such equivocal responses to Arab enmity, the Jews were again in danger of being sold out? As far as Rose was concerned, the reluctance to support Israel against its enemies that she saw in Bart and heard as his instruction to his fellow Christians was nothing short of an anti-Semitic rejection of the Jews as a people and thus of Jesus himself. Rose's anger at Bart was palpable in her signature, unlike previous letters between Bart and the Fackenheims, in which even in the midst of argument and tension, they always signed off cordially. On this occasion, Rose simply concluded with a steely, yours sincerely. Bart was unable to respond until December, by which time Israel had humiliated its Arab neighbors and tripled its territory. When he did, he rejected her angry assessment of him. Far from being anti-Israel, Marcus stressed his solidarity with the young state. As firmly as he stood by the accusation that there was much to be concerned about in the way in which Israel, quote, conducted its pre-war propaganda and then the war itself, unquote, he also stood by Israel against its aggressors. Quote, I lost old and close friends because my sympathies were and, and are all with the Israeli state, unquote. Nevertheless, Bart's solidarity with Israel was a critical one, and he refused to shy away from expressing his ongoing anxieties, particularly around the Israelis' post-war hubris and the suffering of the predominantly Palestinian refugees. <coughs> In a letter from Bart to Rose Fackenheim, what appears to me important today is the question of how the Israeli state makes use of its victory. After the bravery shown in the war, it will now take a moderation after victory, which is at least as hard to come by as the courage to fight an overwhelming majority. I wish I could see more signs of wisdom and magnanimity than are visible today. It is certainly much easier to keep alive a suspicious and aggressive spirit 
than to think of the situation created for refugees and neighbors by one's own success, unquote. By 1968, the, this critical edge had been sharpened even further as a result of Bart's first visit to Israel, during which he met with professors from the Hebrew University as well as with some representatives from the Arab side. His reaction to what he saw and heard was uncompromising. The crimes that were being perpetuated by American forces in Vietnam, against which he was so vociferously opposed, were nothing compared to the atrocities that were being suffered by the Palestinians. And here he writes in German, Johnson's Haltung zu Hanoi ist geradezu ein Kinderspiel, verglichen mit der Haltung der siegreichen Israels zu, zu ihren Jordan. Jordan. Unquote. Over the next four years, Bart's political opposition to Israeli, Israeli statecraft continued to harden. Quote, almost all Jews are becoming Zionists and are doing this not, with, not without the great danger of endorsing Nazi-like features of blood and soil, nationalistic and militaristic thinking of infamous memory, unquote. While he accepted that the primary guilt for the Six-Day War lay at President Nasser's feet, he was nonetheless unable to accept or legitimize the nationalistic militaristic steps being taken by the victorious Israelis against their their vanquished enemy. In such a context, was it, quote, really so pernicious to refuse to say yes and amen to Zionism? It was not until September 1972 that Barton Fockenheim were in direct conversation again, but in the preceding four years, not least because of the, this political hardening on Bart's part, their relationship had broken down almost irretrievably. One gets a sense of this in a letter from Bart to Ernst Simon in Jerusalem, with whom Fackenheim was close. Quote, My relationship with Emil and Rose is like a love story which is filled not only with thorns, but also with rock falls and earthquakes as well. Unquote. He was especially critical of Rose. Quote, I feel judged and condemned by her. She hardly listens to me if I so much as cough. Unquote. Bart also hinted at his suspicion, suspicions that Rose had been spreading lies about him in order to discredit him before others, and yet she herself, quote, is hardly open to hearing what anyone dares to, when anyone dares to contradict her in the slightest way, unquote. Yet in spite of it all, Bart stressed that, quote, both of them are very dear to me, and that he hoped no misunderstanding would endanger or break their friendship. When Emil Fackenheim wrote to Bart later in September, he was furious. While accepting that Bart had at least had the courtesy of sending him a copy of his letter to Simon, Fackenheim also noted that, quote, this is all I can thank you for. He lambasted Bart for his, quote, derogatory remarks about Rose and castigated him for his willful misapprehension mis of the six, 614th commandment, quote, for a man who complains of being misunderstood, you display a most extraordinary capacity for misunderstanding others. Marcus, are you immoral enough to cite and criticize people without having read what they have written? Unquote. 
Falkenheim also returned to that earlier theme of Bart's in which he had consistently and provocatively equated the atrocities of the Holocaust with the crimes of Vietnam and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, thereby repudiating the prioritizing of Auschwitz. <coughs> Quoting Falkenheim, your letter shows no sign what, whatever of attempts to discriminate. The comparison between mighty America fighting in Vietnam and Israel encircled by Arab nations is a first-rate first example of false consciousness. As for the comparison between the Nazi shooting of hostages and the Israeli destruction of real estate, have you really lost all sense of proportion?" Unquote. Having to rebut in such angry terms a man with whom, quote, as you say, Rose and I have had bonds of friendship for many years, unquote, was evidently troubling for Falkenheim. Yet given how increasingly revolting he thought Bart's views to be, he clearly felt that he had no choice. It took Bart three weeks to reply, and when he did, when, when he did so, he, he sought both to defend himself against Falkenheim's charges and also to plead for reconciliation. With characteristic acerbic wit, Bart remarked that, quote, I can only wish that your operation has by now been successfully completed so that you may enjoy many more years of productive life. Freed of the mysterious compulsion to react to the macabre, conscious or unconscious, fake, false or real, anti-Semitism among Christians, by saying and writing words of flagrant and generalizing Jewish anti-Christianism, unquote. Of the accusation that he had been intolerably harsh toward Rose, Bart simply retorted, never. I esteem her highly, even when I have to disagree with her and she throws insults and sarcasms against me, unquote. Still, in spite of his efforts to bridge the gulf between them, Bart nonetheless felt it important to advocate his cause. Returning to the theme of militaristic Zionism, he questioned, quote, why is it a terrorist crime when criminal and silly fanatics kill 11 Jews in Munich, while it is not a terrorist crime of worse dimensions when Israeli guns, tanks, and aircraft kill over 60, most non-military, non-guerrilla people in southern Lebanon in retaliation for Munich? My opinion, which you, of course, will dub immoral, is once again that wrong does not heal wrong." Unquote. If Bart was trying to repair the rift, Falkenheim seemed far less inclined. When he replied 10 days later, he made it clear that he thought the friendship was effectively over. Dear Marcus, politeness of expression and even sincere professions of genuine friendship are less important than truthfully confronting Die Zaken. Here I sadly note that you either deliberately avoid Die Zaken, of which I spoke in my earlier letter, or else that our failure to communicate is so total that further attempts are useless or even harmful." Unquote. Bart took Falkenheim at his word and did not make direct contact for another five years. Not that this prevented him from speaking about Falkenheim to others, in particular to David Dempson. In 1976, he said to Dempson that, quote, it appears to me that people like Falkenheim who expect from us a blank check of approval to whatever foolishness leaders like Golda Meir do, 
are actually working not for the peace of Israel, but to its disadvantage. I wonder whether perhaps you can one day discuss this question with him. What we in Israel need today are not fanatics, but sober people, friends and brothers of Israel, not bootlickers." Unquote. This letter demonstrates that Bart felt himself unable any longer to communicate sensibly with, with Fackenheim and hoping instead that Dempson could do so on Bart's behalf, but also that Bart regarded Fackenheim as, if not legally culpable as Mayer, as legally culpable as Mayer, at least guilty of servile complicity in Israel's crimes. Dempson, in fact, continued to be a go-between between Bart and Fackenheim. In 1977, he told Bart, quote, Fackenheim would read anything you send him. He has basic goodwill toward you, unquote. Though he also cautioned that this was, quote, overlaid with some irritation at your lopsided view of the Middle East, unquote. Bart apparently took note of Dempson's advice for in August of the following year, Fackenheim wrote to him thanking Bart for his letter and enclosure. Uh, Mark's treatment here doesn't seem to give any indication that we have that letter or enclosure. Yet the renewal of correspondence was not a happy one. Fackenheim insisted that Bart undertake some urgent soul searching. Angered already by Bart's equation of the, uh, of the Begin government with the hawkish Meir administration, Fackenheim was incensed by Bart's apparent endorsement of Yasser Arafat with whom Bart had met quoting Fackenheim. In the newspaper clipping which you uh, sent me, you are reported as quoting what Yasser Arafat told you, but you are not quoted as mentioning the Palestinian National Covenant or Arafat's refusal to alter or abrogate it, despite every opportunity. Since in your letter you say nothing about this, I must conclude that you go all over the place quoting what Arafat told you, but suppressing the quite different things said in the covenant. Do you really suppress these things? In that case, the German Unterschlagen would be a more apt word, and I would find it difficult to take seriously your professed concern for the security of Israel." Unquote. Bart responded simply by rejecting the accusation that he was an uncritical spokesperson for the PLO, but he reminded Fackenheim that Arafat had been seeking precisely the same recognition for Israel as Fackenheim himself had been urging. That Arafat had been unsuccessful was not, Bart said, because of his own lack of will, but because he had been unable to, to persuade enough of his co-liberationists. Yes, agreed Bart, quote, he might indeed have taken a bolder stance, but then he would have been removed and a more radical and perhaps less politically gifted man would have, would have succeeded him, unquote. He ended his letter hoping that both Emil and Rose could agree with him that the blood of all terror victims, implying both Israeli victims of the PLO and Palestinian victims of the Israeli Defense Force, cried to heaven. Whether or not the Falkenheims did agree with him remains unknown for this letter of Bart's at the tail end of 1978 is the last extant piece of correspondence between them. It is perfectly possible that the gulf between the Barts and Fackenheims was by now too wide to cross. Bart made occasional reference to Rosen, Emil, and letters to other colleagues. 
Rose became for him fanatic and even super fanatical, with both her and Emil representing a form of, quote, Holocaust pseudo-theology, unquote, to which Bart was allergic. While the major source of disagreement was the Fackenheim's prioritizing of Auschwitz as a theological criterion, and there, in Bart's view at least, um, consequent refusal to see Israel's aggressive militarism for what it was, there was also a deeper methodological alienation between them, which was pointed out by David Dempson. In 1979, Dempson related to Bart his discovery of Emil Fackenheim's driving principle. Quote, I admit to having been a bit shocked as I examined his work altogether. He indicates that Jews are commanded to endure as Jews in the face of the Holocaust. This means that Jews are to let themselves be, be formed by the root experiences of Exodus and Sinai. The shock came when I realized that he says this not because of the intrinsic reality, truth, and power of these events, but in order to defy the evil one, who through Hitler willed the destruction of Jewry. Faith is, then, defiance. This is too uncritical an adoption of existential analysis for me. So writes David Dempson. Bart responded with thanks, but also with a recognition that this was something about Fackenheim that had troubled him for at least 13 years. Quote, I must confess that I did not realize that defiance rather than hope is the light motif of his thought. However, I had already formed the opinion that he appears to live more from the great enemy and correspondingly from negation than from the source of hope and the, and the appropriate affirmations, unquote. Indeed, it was precisely this leitmotif, Falkenheim's defiant no to Hitler and to every other attempt to eradicate the Jews, and an equally defiant yes to Israel's future and security, no matter how aggressively they must be fought for, that created the unbridgeable chasm between Bart and Falkenheim. Taking a lead from his father's rejection of any and all natural theologies, Marcus could not accept the triumphalism, as he put it, that prioritized Auschwitz and the 614th commandment as fundamental theological criteria, which in Barth's view blinded Fackenheim from acknowledging any other narrative for the Middle East that did not give unconditional support to Israel. In the end, it was this geopolitical disagreement predicated upon radically opposing methodologies that brought an angry and bitter end to an interfaith friendship that could otherwise have proved so significant. Sadly, that seems to have been the legacy of so much of Marcus Bart's commitment to and love for the land and people of Israel. His publications and scholarly works spoke and still speak eloquently of the intrinsic solidarity of Christians and Jews, and in, so doing, uh, in doing so, continue to provide much needed correctives to Christian anti-Judaism. And yet, Bart's personal relationship with one of the most significant Jewish leaders of the 20th century collapsed into mutual suspicion and even hostility. That's the end of the paper. He, intent, he intended to write originally on both um, the relationship with uh, Falkenheim and Visegrad. Didn't get that far, but this is what he has given us. The floor is open to discussion. Phil's willing to join me.